0: Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World, with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Welcome back to the show. Sorry I'm a little late on uh, this whole weekly episode release business. Just getting situated here on the road. Currently podcasting from Bend, Oregon. I think this is day 10-ish around. Sitting in the car, traffic going by. So if you hear that, that's what that is. Um, Never been to Bend before now, but I'm into it. Very Boulder-esque vibe. Um, Made a pretty quick journey up the coast. So obviously left from Topanga, stopped in Santa Cruz, um, spent some time in Mendocino County, Humboldt County, and then pretty much made our way up to um, uh, Oregon, where we've been for the past couple nights. And I'm going to be camping um, at a place called Smith Rock, I think. <clears throat> Which is strange because that I just announced that because now any of you can um, come stalk me there. But that's where I'll be. Uh, and then after that, headed up to Seattle and shortly thereafter into Canada. So this trip is three months, but really... Um, Did a good bit of the mileage here in the first few weeks uh, due to some obligations. Speaking of obligations, the good kind, at least. um, Tried to host a meetup in Portland, but uh, I don't think we're going to be making it to Portland. Um, But we are going to be hosting one in Seattle. So if you are a listener of the show um, and you want to come say hi and hang out with like-minded people... I think we're doing the meetup May 23rd at a place called Jules Mays Saloon. Apparently, it's the oldest saloon in Seattle, and it's going to be Thursday the 23rd from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. So, if you live in or around Seattle and want to come hang out, I would love to meet you guys. Um, So, definitely come. And what else? Um, I've been having an interesting thought recently about just sort of how I've identified myself both personally and then like sort of through the lens of other people. One of the ways that I identified, uh, forever was as an introvert. And I know that these categorizations, um, introvert, extrovert, I mean, even personality types and all of that stuff. And I think this is why I like astrology because I think astrology is the most complex Out of all of these things, there's not eight types, you know, there's millions upon millions of different configurations of planets um, and points of the sky, which make your chart super, super unique. And I think uh, when we have categorizations that are minimal in their breadth, as in, you know, there's only two, introvert, extrovert, or I know some people say there's like introverted extrovertism or however you might define that or say that. Um, I always considered myself an introvert. I read that great book called Quiet. I don't know who the author was many years ago. I identified with so much of it, and I still do. However, I've been in a place in my life recently where I am really for the first time in a while, I think there was an exception when I uh, lived in Amsterdam when I was uh, in my... I guess, late teens, early 20s, when I really felt like the people I were was with were people that I related to. Not since then have I really been in spaces with people who I thought I saw eye to eye with. And I would notice that I would be in social situations and I would be super quiet. I wouldn't speak. People would call me shy all the time. I mean, I would go places with someone else and they'd be like, well, you are pretty quiet or you didn't say much. And I sort of just always related that back to being introverted, like, well, it takes me a while to open up. And I do know that when I get close to people, that's sort of the last thing I am. I'm opinionated and loud and make jokes and I'm inappropriate. But I definitely noticed that within the space of like meeting people for the first time at a party, like I was just a wallflower. I didn't say anything. And recently, I've been in a lot of spaces with people that do see eye to eye with me, that are super fucking cool, who understand the weird shit I talk about. I mean, this is a joke. I think I've probably mentioned this before. When I was in college, I wrote a paper about the incest taboo, just, you know, examining it, trying to make the point that it's super nuanced. Of course, there's sexual abuse and abuses of power and... Um, terrible things that exist within that space, but uh, I wanted to see where the taboo came from, and um, anyway, I won't go into that now, but I have brought this up that I wrote this paper called Reexamining the Incest Taboo at, like, several parties and get-togethers recently. And I think in the past it's like, I would never have brought that up because I think I might have been thrown out, like, don't talk like, what the, who are you, and why are you bringing this up? And interestingly, I'm now in spaces where I bring that up and people are like, oh, interesting. Tell me more. And so I find myself being really outgoing. And I feel like I constructed this identity for myself about this introvertism and um, introvertedness, introvertism. I think it's introvertedness about being introverted, about being shy. And I wonder if I almost used that that as an excuse not to examine the fact that like, hey, Anya, maybe you're not really shy. Maybe you're just in the wrong place with the wrong people. And so now being in these other situations and realizing how outgoing I am and how I love dialogue and I mean, hello, I have a podcast. I know that's different than talking to a bunch of people at a a party, but I'm I'm not as shy as I think I always thought I was. So I just wanted to bring that up because I think we're all very capable of creating these identities for ourselves based on false understandings of who we are Um, due to the people we're with, the situations we're in, the time in life that we are. And I think we construct these identities, whether it's shy, introverted, whether it's wanting to be monogamous or straight or gay or, you know, not that all of these things are choices per se. However, we always can change. You know, we always have the right to change. And I think change is one of the scarier things that we can do in life because, By saying we want to change or that we're different or we want to make a different choice, there's a part of that that is an admittance that we're admitting that we were wrong and that maybe we defended choices vehemently and now we're not so sure of those anymore. And that's growth. And I think that's why growth is painful, because we kind of have to admit that we were wrong about something. But that's way more you know, positive and brave and courageous than being embarrassed to say that maybe we're different now or we were wrong about a thing and sticking to the same thing or the same relationship or the same choice or the same identity simply because that's how we always were, you know? And I think my dad and I talked about this on the last episode about, you know, how we change and become different people over time, you know, based on the context that we're in, based on the information that we have, based on the relationships that we're in. This is normal and natural, and we can be afraid of that malleability of identity, or we can embrace it and look at it as something fun. Speaking of that episode with my dad... I. (laughs) Had this feeling after I posted that that I almost like didn't want to post another podcast. Like oh, I should just leave it there, go out on a high note. Um, <clears throat> I was really proud of that episode, and I got probably more messages from you guys about that episode than any other episode. Um, just about how much you enjoyed it, and how it was sort of a way for you guys to understand me a little bit better, and saying such wonderful amazing things about my dad I actually screenshotted a lot of the responses I got and sent them to him and it was just a really meaningful experience for me and for him and for both of us and thank you all always for sending me messages about any episode or anything that I say that you enjoy or dislike I like the negative feedback too um that was just really fun and I think nice to be super vulnerable like that and give you guys a window into my um inner life and my childhood and where I come from. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really overall amazing experience. So thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. Um, and thank you for reaching out and telling me that you're there and, um, makes me really happy. So today's episode is with my friend, Neil. Neil is the founder of a company called three twins ice cream, which hopefully you guys have tried. Um, yeah I'll let you listen to the episode, but Neil has always been a really interesting guy to me. It was one of the things where <clears throat> wasn't necessarily you know it's hard in in this doing this podcast because I feel like you know very particular about who I choose to um interview, and I really want it to kind of fall into this theme of you know quote unquote saving the world whatever the hell that means um but obviously I want to continue this podcast for a long time. So it can't be like super specific every time. And I had the idea to interview Neil because Neil is someone who I always saw as just living a super authentic life. Uh, He did a bunch of super, very different things that didn't really seem to fall in line with like, I am an entrepreneur, and so therefore that means my life looks like X, Y, and Z. It's like, sure, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to have this experience, and here's this part of my life, and I'm going to be open about it and um, have all these different chapters in my life that don't necessarily look like they were a se- specific path. And I think that whole idea of like having the non-plan plan is, I think, one of the more <clears throat> most important things to do, especially when it comes to this whole concept of fixing ourselves to fix the world, right? It's like opting out of paths or expectations around who we're, we are, we're supposed to be, and just kind of saying, fuck it. Like, at one stage in my life, I want to, you know, be in the Peace Corps. At this other stage, I want to start this un- uh, ice cream company. At this other stage, I want to go to Burning Man. These are all Neil things. Um, so anyway, that that's why I chose Neil. I I had the thought to interview him for a while. And finally, in my trip up north, um, was able to talk to him. And uh, we joke about this on the podcast, but it was the definitely the longest conversation we'd ever had. We knew each other from the natural products industry and kind of just like chatted briefly on the trade show floor. So it was really cool to hang out with him. It's partially why I really love trips like this and why I hope to meet all of you along the journey and on the road. Um, just having those face-to-face connections is really cool. So I think that's all for now. I'll let you guys listen to this episode and uh, hope to see you in Seattle. If I don't post an episode before then, I don't really even know quite what day it is or what the schedule is. So. Who knows, but, uh, hope to see you in Seattle. I will announce more meetup dates as we continue on the journey. Um, thanks so much again for, uh, being out there. Love you guys. All right. So I'm here with my friend Neil, although this will probably be the longest time we've ever talked.
1: By far. By far, I would, by far I think. yeah. We get like little snippets in trade shows or Instagram yeah, messages. On the
0: trade show floor, yeah. But that's cool. I, I feel like, uh... <clears throat> this is a, a proper way to get to know someone like in front of 1500 people listening <laughs>
1: podcast. I mean, what does your generation do?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has a podcast. Um, so yeah, so I'm sitting here in Neil's houseboat. I've never been in a houseboat before actually.
1: So technically it's a floating home.
0: Oh, a floating home. It's not a
1: houseboat. People call them houseboats, but it yeah. doesn't have an engine. It doesn't go anyplace. So it's just, just a barge that sits here. And...
0: So what you lived in before this was a, it was a houseboat. real houseboat.
1: It had engines.
0: And, big and what is your attraction to the home on water?
1: Well, for <laughs> those listening and not looking at home, it's it's kind of the golden hour right now, and it's just absolutely beautiful. We have the bay outside and blue sky and Mount Tam near us, and it's just really peaceful Yeah, and pretty inexpensive as far as Marin County living goes.
0: So is that what draw, drew you to it in the first place, just like the view and the vibe and...
1: I've been upgrading, so I actually first moved on to a boat, a little twenty-seven foot sailboat, and at six-one, there was only one spot on the boat where I could where I could stand. Uh-huh. But it was early on in three twins ice cream, and I was I had no money, and I was in this apartment that was like fifteen hundred dollars a month, which at the time was a lot of money. Yeah, um, it was like nine ten years ago, so I came across a sailboat for sale for two thousand bucks, and then the monthly slip was six hundred. So I was like, you know what? I'll try that out. I basically would break even after two months. Yeah. So if I didn't like it, I could always just sink it and move ashore. And I lived on that for two years, and then I upgraded to the houseboat, which was on for five and a half years. And then the girlfriend moved on, and the dog moved on, and it got small. And, and now we have two bedrooms, two baths, 1100 square feet, and great views, and it's, it's quite
0: nice. Yeah, it's a proper home. When you were like, we have an extra bedroom. I was like, really? Like a, I guess. Floating home. Okay, I have to get used to that. I keep wanting to say houseboat. You can say
1: houseboat. <laughs> I mean, did you think we were going like, to put you on the deck or something? No, no,
0: but I guess I, I don't even know if I've seen homes like this before. Like, yeah,
1: there's, there's not that many of them. If you watched Sleepless in Seattle, yeah. that, that was a floating home community.
0: Right, okay.
1: Um, there's about 400 here in Sausalito, so yeah. not, not too many. And then there's a few others around the Bay Area and some in Seattle and Vancouver.
0: So you're like a pioneer.
1: I'm a follower, I mean, the, the, it's, you know, the hippies have lived on, on these things from the 70s, 60s and 70s. Yeah. And actually before then, like I think late 1800s, they started people from San Francisco would have these arcs that would be just moored up here mm. and they would be their summer homes. They'd come up to basically get away from the fog in oh, San Francisco.
0: Cool.
1: Yeah. So That's a couple awesome. of those are still around. They're quite small, but pretty.
0: That's Awesome. So yeah, so we know each other because you have an ice cream company, Three Twins. I do, and I w- dabbled a bit in the natural products industry. <laughs> you more than dabbled. I, I feel I like were, you were I, a mainstay. It, like, for... it was like a ten-year period. So yeah, it was more than dabbled. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I want to know why you started the ice cream company and how that began and like what was the impetus for. It was funny because I've worked in this industry for a long time, so I recognize to some extent. I've worked for companies that like started really small and grew quickly, and people would always say to me like Why don't you start your own company?" And I was like, "Well, because I've worked in them for so long and I know how hard it is. You see
1: how miserable we <laughs> and all are. I don't
0: want to do it. Yeah. So, were you like always entrepreneurial? Was there something about ice cream in particular? Like, what was the? I,
1: I... I guess I was in some ways always entrepreneurial, but I didn't know any entrepreneurs in my life at mm-hmm. all. I mean, come from like solidly blue collar family; everybody in the family was blue collar. Nobody had their own business. It seemed like such a crazy thing to do. And um, I remember I went back to to college for I was like it must have been for a reunion or for a race or something. And I one of my college teammates, um, Cornell Crew, woo-hoo, <laughs> um, had started a pizza place, and I was like, Oh wait, you can start businesses. We can do this. So I was I was kind of intrigued, but I was working at, at Gap at the time at their corporate headquarters. And I ended up quitting that and going to the Peace Corps. So when I came back, I wanted to kind of combine that you know dirty business side with my hippy dippy um, do do good do well side. So started three twins as one little ice cream shop, but always with the goal of building it into into a prominent national brand.
0: So it was a shop before it was a it was an ink- CPG.
1: A tiny little shop, like five hundred eighty square feet, and I made ice cream in the front, in the back, and then served customers in front. I didn't have any employees at first, oh. um, and it was it was awful. <laughs> and um, but it was also exhilarating to yeah. get to get going, to start a business, to have your own little shingle, um, as one of my fellow entrepreneurs calls it, hanging his shingle, like um, a roof
0: shingle. Yeah, I think that's
1: <laughs> I think that's he's older, um, Greg Hartman from Oasis Sales and Marketing. I think it's like an old-timer say. <laughs> um, yeah, it was exhilarating, but also exhausting. And, and the, where the shop was, the location and all, there was just no way that it was ever going to you know, pay for a real living. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to branch out, and I started selling at farmer's markets, and I started doing packaged ice cream for local grocery stores, just kind of hand-packing them. And then a few years later, I ended up opening up a factory and going after it for real. More than a few, I guess it was like five years in.
0: So you said you worked there alone. Did you always have the part? Was it always Three Twins?
1: The name was always Three Twins. Okay. But that comes from the fact that when I came back from Peace Corps,
0: yeah,
1: uh, we were evacuated when the war in Iraq started. I was uh, based in Morocco. And when we came back, I needed a place to stay. We got um, evacuated pretty suddenly. So moved in with my twin brother and his then fiance, um, who's an identical twin herself. So we're three twins under one roof and started calling the apartment, three twins, and then it's a much better name than calling it, you know, Neil's Ice Cream.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and how long has it been around now?
1: It's been around um, about 13 and a half years. This summer will be 14 years at the end of the summer.
0: And you guys have stuff in stores and Getters? shops still.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of scoop shops. Um, mm-hmm. we, we, at one point we had four, but scoop shops are really a really hard way to make a living. Especially in the Bay Area, you know, just the cost of doing business is very high. So we have two we have two shops, one in Marin County, one um, in Napa County, and then we have two licensed shops in the Bay Area, one at the airport, one in Berkeley. We have four licensed shops in Asia, two in Japan, two in Korea, South Korea. And um, but most of our business, by far, like ninety something percent, is packaged ice cream and bulk mm-hmm. ice cream for food service and grocery stores.
0: Which is, I feel like, for people that don't realize, probably the hardest type of good that you could sell, like a frozen. Product.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really think that one through. A frozen organic product, so low margin, high cost of getting it there because yeah. it has to stay frozen, um, and not necessarily a product category where people are willing to to typically pay a lot. You know, wine, of course, people drink like three dollar. Chewbacca chuck is now three dollars. I mean, it kind of says where the economy has gone. Yeah. But you know, people drink three dollars bottles of wine, and they drink hundred dollars bottles of wine. There's a huge spread, um, and there's a lot of consumers in that middle ground. In, in ice cream, it, the market is definitely skewed towards the, the cheap side of things. So you're competing with these huge multinationals trying to make a premium product on a smaller scale with more expensive ingredients. It's tough.
0: And it's why? Really tough. Why? Why did you choose ice cream to begin with? Ice like, cream was you... something.
1: I felt I could start at a little scoop shop, but then make the same product and sell it at a grocery store. Yeah, um, it was something I could learn how to make pretty easily. It wasn't like, oh, you know what? I'm going to get into pharmaceuticals. You know, <laughs> with my like, you know, meager seventy thousand dollar life savings. Um, and it was something I felt like, you know, people are generally in a good mood when they're going for ice cream. It would allow for a lot of room for creativity. Definitely. By making it organic, you get a better product. You get a cleaner, vibrant, tasting, delicious product. So, um, so there were a lot of different reasons.
0: It's interesting to me that, like, you came back from the Peace Corps and like ventured into this what seems like pretty capitalist type of attitude around starting a business. Did you find that?
1: Well, I was a capitalist beforehand as well. Yeah. I mean, I was working for Gap at their
0: right.
1: corporate headquarters. Yeah, um, and, and I, how, how I believe old were you? i I was um I was twenty eight when I started the company. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I believe in capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it it's it has some flaws, as most of us do. But for the most part, I think it propels societies forward.
0: Yeah, no, I don't disagree. I just wonder, like, how many people come back from the Peace Corps and we're like, I'm going to start a business. I just no, think,
1: like, most go to grad yeah. school. Yeah,
0: because
1: <laughs> nobody will hire them. Us. Um, yeah. I had I had work experience before, so I guess I could have gone. I did actually go back to work. I went to work for Levi's for a little bit, mm. um, but ultimately. I wanted to do my own thing.
0: And how do you feel like... It's funny, that like, online, knowing people through the internet, I feel like I know a lot about you, but we've never talked about it. Same. (laughs) It's a very observational. Strange. So tonight will be very interesting, because we're actually going to, like, have dinner and have a conversation like normal
1: humans. Or we could just, like, kind of have awkward silences after the interview (laughs) is done, like, we'll have nothing to talk about.
0: No, I think there'll be more. Because we can't really say everything on the microphone probably yeah. So, yeah
1: well i mean one of the funniest things and my favorite thing about you is yeah. the fact that you almost moved to new jersey yeah to the town where i grew up to a house right around the corner which was odd and i'm glad you didn't go to fairlawn It's lovely it's a town at that- it is. It just seems like such a strange place for somebody. And I think you're in your mid twenties at the time.
0: I was, I was living a vastly different life. I don't even remember actually when that was that I was going to maybe move there. Um, like what the decision.
1: Suja, right?
0: <clears throat> yeah. It had to have been pre Suja. Yeah. So for the listeners, cause I don't know if I've described this. So I was working for Brad's raw foods. Do you remember them?
2: You
1: know, I was just, <laughs> I was in Costco today at my yeah. lunch break And they were sampling out Brad's kale chips. I had no idea that they even existed anymore.
0: It's gone through like many, many iterations and sales and... Where's Brad? Brad's still out there. (laughs) Out there is probably a good (laughs) good expression. Yeah, Brad is no longer involved in Brad's. Um, But yeah, I guess that was at some point when I was still working for him and the person I was with at the time was working somewhere in New Jersey too. And I think we were trying to just find like a convenient spot that was halfway between both of our workplaces. We ended up moving to Somerville, New Jersey, which was not much of an upgrade.
1: I didn't realize you did live in New Jersey for a while.
0: Oh yeah. Well, so I was born and raised in New York and then, uh, was working at Whole Foods in Edgewater, New Jersey. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So I was living in Cliffside Park. Mm-hmm. This has become the Lake New Jersey geography podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Viewers at home take out your map.
0: <laughs> um and yeah, and then I got the job at Brad's, but Brad's was located basically in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So, nowhere. Um, it was very inconvenient. I was driving like 50 minutes to work every day. It was like a nightmare.
1: No offense to the people in Buckstown.
0: But yeah. Bucks County. Bucks, Bucks County. Buckstown. Bucks <laughs> it's a nice place, but hard to get there for work. But yeah, then I got a job at, um, Mama Chia in San Diego, which is how I made my way out West.
1: And isn't, isn't Janie from New Jersey too? Or maybe Lance is... Lance is, yes. Lance yeah, was from. Everybody's in the natural food industry is tied yeah. to New Jersey in some way. Yeah,
0: totally. But one of the things that I observed you doing for a long time was that you were like, I, this might've happened more than once, but you were climbing mountains and planting rainbow flags. <laughs> yeah. I don't really want to hear about this.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. so the first, the first thing, um, was that my, my, one of my best friends, Kelly, who actually lives in a floating home, just, just across the way, um, like about 150 feet from here. Um, she and I decided to go climb the tallest mountain in Uganda because I'd seen a program about it and it was like this muddy, hellacious trek. And I was like, oh, I'd like a challenge. And I I'd climbed Kilimanjaro already. So we booked a trip and then they criminalized homosexuality. And I thought, well, that's not cool. And we're going to the top of the tallest mountain. So why wouldn't you plant a pride flag at the top? The answer to that is because you could get seven years in prison for promoting homosexuality. So Kelly wasn't in favor of it. She ended up um, bringing a guy that she was dating, make me a third wheel on my trip. Um, And he wasn't for it at first, but I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this. I'm going to be real careful not to get caught, and it's going to be awesome. And um, so that's what what happened. Um, Brought it to the top. It took six and a half days to get to the top of the mountain. And unfurled it and um, told the porters that it was in honor of my godfather, who... um, who's deceased but um, my parents generously gave me a gay Jewish godfather and um that was kind of the moment of truth because if they knew what the pride flag was you know I could have been in in deep crap right there so they
0: actually didn't know what a rainbow flag
1: they didn't was. know they and that was like huge huge relief so put it up there um they were actually helping it was it was <laughs> the mountains up at like 16700 feet i think it was the wind was blowing like 25 miles an hour and the, like I almost lost the flag and I was like flopping around as I'm trying to aff- affix it to this structure at the top this little like plaque and they were actually helping and so they ended up in a couple of photos I'm like no you you need to you need to get away you like, <laughs> need you to not be in this photos just in case you know you get, you get caught so um went home we got out of the country went home um it was kind of like a scene out of *The Last King of Scotland* as we were taking off from uh, Entebbe Airport. Like, so I could, you know, I knew I was safe and, yeah. and away from um, from danger. And a few days later, I posted a, a post on Facebook to say, you know, this is what I did over my vacation with an open letter to the President of Uganda, condemning, you know, his criminalization of homosexuality. And it was, you know, it got a bunch of likes the first day, a bunch of likes the second day, and then the third day I woke up and it was like, boom. Um, This uh, prominent gay blog, Tal Road or Tola road I never learned how to say it, um, posted a story about the flag, and then it ended up just going around the world to, as far as I could tell, most prominent LGBT-focused news sites and HuffPost and and stuff like that. Um, HuffPost actually outed me as gay. Um, they tweeted gay man plants flag on Uganda's house mountain. So I, you know, it was surprising to my girlfriend, um, <laughs> which actually very few people knew what I was doing. And so my, my girlfriend, she was actually at her desk at work and, um, she was on some, some, uh, on Jezebel and saw this article and was like, wait a second and click through and saw that it was me. Cause she had no idea what I was up to. Um, just, you know, in the name of keeping, keeping things safe. So, um, so it was cool. It was, it was impactful. We got lots of messages from um, closeted um, gay folks in um, Uganda um, and people who were in hiding in Uganda, as well as um, a great deal of outpouring from, you know, gay straight community worldwide who, um, who just, you know, appreciated the the message. Um, I also got a little condemned by like Jezebel because I like, like cold called the president of, of Uganda old and challenge him to take down the flag himself. But, you know, it was in Uganda's national media. It was really strange. It was a strange, strange chapter. Um, and, um, you know, it kind of, was a good lesson in like how, how you can use your voice, how you can use your voice for good. And, and uh, eventually the, the law was overturned and they did not try to, um, put it back into place. Of course, there's still a great deal of persecution of members of the LGBTI community in, in Uganda um, but strangely enough, then you know, a couple of years later, um, North Carolina had instituted HB2, um, the bathroom bill. And so there was reason to do kind of the same sort of stunt domestically. So I flew to North Carolina, constructed an outhouse um, that was, it was seven planks of wood wide, and it was painted the colors of the pride flag, and then uh, I left a, a flag on it. Uh, trans pride flag on on it um with a note to the governor and a functioning bucket. It was a functioning porta uh outhouse. Um fortunately I could drive to the summit of the mountain within like three hundred yards, so that was a lot easier and took a lot less time. Um and that that also that made some news. That that also got a tough post. I was on Survivor at the time, so it was a little more likely to to get a bunch of news. Um yeah, and just, you know, I think it's important to call people out when they're and they're being stupid, and and they're being um, hateful, and um, and taking actions that are, are truly hurting people.
0: I'm gonna put a pin in the survivor thing. We're gonna come back to it, but <clears throat> we don't have to. <laughs> no, we're definitely gonna come we back. Definitely don't have to. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it's funny because one of the reasons. So I I didn't even really explain to you what my podcast is, but one of the um one of the things that I just really like to do is like talk to and about people that are just kind of, like, doing what they feel is authentic and what they want to do and not being sort of, like, bogged down by the society's expectations or, like, labels and boxes. And um, I always felt like there were so many random things that I saw you doing that were, like, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not just this one thing, but I can, like, have this ice cream company and I'm going to be on this reality show and I'm going to climb mountains and plant rainbow flags. And I always thought that was super
1: Yeah, cool. They, they all kind of tie in because one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is it definitely gives you a voice and it gives you freedom to um, do things and have them amplified in a way that that you don't if you're just, you know, back at gap sitting at your cubicle like I was when I was in my twenties.
0: And how do you feel like you're through three twins? Like what are the thing? How does the company differ from other companies? Like how are you fighting for things that you care about within mm-hmm. that space?
1: Yeah, I think the, the most most impactful thing that we do is on the environmental side, just the fact that we're organic. So of the millions and millions of pints that we've sold over the years, we've been responsible for millions of pounds of organic agriculture being produced. Um, so especially with, with milk, um, that's really important because it means that the cows are treated better. They're not fed growth hormones and, um, they're given access to pasture, um, certain times of year, um, and fed organic foods rather than, you know, being force fed, you know, roundup ready grains and whatnot. Um, so that, I think that alone is probably the single most important thing. It also affects, um, you know, the workers who are, um, who are working to grow the organic ingredients. Good example would be, uh, would be the vanilla orchids, you know, by those being organic, that means that the workers who are hand pollinating them aren't coming in contact with pesticides and herbicides and uh, other chemicals that they would be treated with, um, so it, it and their their groundwater isn't getting polluted, the same way that might be. Uh, sorry about the dog That's walking okay. around. He didn't cut his nails.
0: It adds to the vibe. It's fine. <laughs> uh,
1: so you know, I think it's important from the worker standpoint. And then the thing that I'm really proud of is that we have our own land conservation initiative called Ice Cream for Acres. So when you buy a pint of Three Twins, you're funding the purchase of at least six square feet of land. And we are, we're working with an environmental nonprofit called global wildlife conservation that buys land to protect species so it's a really cool lesson to consumers that you know such a seemingly insignificant choice like what ice cream i buy can actually have long-term meaningful impact um in in the form of land conservation initiative so through that we've funded the purchase of over eight thousand acres of land at this point i believe so pretty big pretty big chunk of land
0: yeah that's awesome do you feel like it was a I mean, I guess coming back full circle to the whole Peace Corps thing, like <clears throat> when you started the company, I'm assuming you didn't sort of envision all of these things that you would end up doing with it.
1: Oh, definitely not all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, we were always we certified organic or we were organic and then within the first year got certified organic as they started selling outside of the scoop shop. The, the giving back thing has developed over time versus mm-hmm. uh, a member 1% for the planet. But then I felt like it was important to be more clear in what you're doing with your giving.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. and
1: thus developed ice cream breakers.
0: Yeah. Um, Sorry, like totally getting distracted by adjusting the volume here. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Let's talk about Survivor. (laughs) Oh,
1: Survivor. It's Survivor Night. It's actually on tonight. and We could watch it if I had a TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't have a TV either.
0: Yeah, how did that happen? Like where did that come from? It goes
1: back to Kelly. So my, my climbing partner... From Uganda, she and I actually met on OK Cupid mm. years ago. We, it's like seven or eight years ago um, at this point. Our first date, she walked over to my houseboat and plopped down on my couch. and We had a beer and started talking about what we did. And it turns out she worked for Survivor. And I was had <laughs> been thinking about applying because I figured, you know what? The show's not going to be around forever. I think I can convince them that I'm interesting. Even if I'm not, I think I can make myself sound interesting. And um, Kelly introduced me to casting and I t- took two years to apply and I applied twice, but got on the second time. And then I found myself, you know, half naked in Cambodia on a beach with cameras everywhere and sound guys.
0: And were you like a fan of the show beforehand or?
1: I love the show. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm super competitive person. I love, I love competitions. I love, you know, running races and, and puzzles and and things like that and there's just no other competition in the world that's anything like survivor you know the fact that there's there's 500 people there to put on this competition it costs millions of dollars to put on it's not like you could just have like your little weekend survivor game it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same so i just thought it would be incredible to to be inside the box um, rather than just just watching it and it, it truly was it's one of the most exciting and also one of the most boring things I've ever done.
0: Really? You just have
1: Yeah, you have so much time when you're sitting around. Um and, and if the cameras aren't on you, you can't talk. So when you're going from your camp to a challenge site and you're sitting in a boat for 45 minutes, you can't talk to the other contestants. You just you're just sitting there and you're you're underneath so you they can't see you're in the hole of the boat so you can't see where you're going. You know?
0: You can't talk. Why is that?
1: Because they don't want to miss Anything. any little bit that could affect the outcome of the game. And they can't record you in a boat because that would take away from the narrative of that you're stranded on this island. And they can't record you for the hour, hour and a half that you're sitting in this green tent before the challenge, while they're setting up and doing medical checks and and micing you up. They, you can't talk then, so you're just sitting. You're just sitting all the time. And not so
0: talking. like basically like turned into like a vipassana <laughs> retreat <laughs> was silent where you get sick. If say. only
1: I had started <laughs> yoga. Before then. I know. Yeah. I was just sitting there bored. Figuring out how I got myself into the situation.
0: <laughs> what was that like? I That feels like the intersection of, like, the most technology, modern reality show type of situation merged with this, like, very primal state. Was that bizarre?
1: You know, it's not... There are certainly elements of, like, high tech, right? Like, they have, like, yeah. GoPros. Like, you'll be in a challenge and you realize there's like a GoPro like embedded in the log like looking at you but for the most part i mean obviously the cameras are are top notch yeah that's that's it there's not you don't see any technology you see the camera and other than that you are on this deserted island which in our case it wasn't actually a deserted island but as far as we could tell it's deserted because you couldn't couldn't see any other part of the island you couldn't can, can see where the couple of hotels were and stuff like that um So you, yeah, you're aware that you're going to be like beamed up, bounce off the moon and end up inside somebody's television. But at the time, it's very primal because you're just thinking about how am I going to eat? How much firewood do we need to get? How much more water do we need to get? And how am I going to beat these fuckers?
0: (laughs) And like, so what is it about? Because I I get the licking competition. It seems like a very like intense thing to do just for the competition. So there had to be also something about what is going on in Survivor as well. Cause I guess you could do like amazing race or something.
1: It's funny back in the day, <laughs> back in the day I applied for amazing race a couple times. Yeah. One was with my, my twin in law and one was with my best friend from Peace Corps. But nowadays the thought of being on that show, like I just hate the idea of having to sit and coach and flying around the world <laughs> in the middle seat uh, and just being like being as competitive as I am, I would just be like on the flight the whole time, just just trying to figure out like how to get there faster. Yeah, even though you, <laughs> you can't, you're just in a strapped into a plane. Yeah. So,
0: but were you like, I mean, did you know anything about survival type skills? Was that like something that like interested you before?
1: I, I I can figure things out. I mean, it's not like I had, um, you know, I wasn't like Rambo living off of the land, but. I just, I knew a lot of stuff and I was able to feed our tribe pretty well. Like I think I collected probably like 70% of of the food that, that our tribe had. And, um, I'm definitely pretty comfortable out out in the wild. Um, but it was, I think that the, the big appeal is of course, it's that combination of being out in nature and having this absurd experience, but then also mixing that with these competitions and, than the nuance of everything right like you you want to help your team win a challenge but you don't want to necessarily stand out as being this all-star athlete not that i was um if any of my future fellow contestants are looking at home i'm a terrible athlete <laughs> but you don't want to you don't want to stand out as an extreme athlete because then people are going to re- realize you're going to be able to beat them in the challenges at the end so you want to kind of tone it back or you don't want to show people that you're an extremely good puzzler because then they're going to just be gunning for you and they're going to be scared of you. Um, So it's, it's all about, it's all about balance. And of course you have to get people voted off, but you want to do it in a way that ultimately in the end they'll vote for you to be the winner. So I like, like those nuances.
0: Yeah. It's like, oh, it's almost just as strategic as it is competitive.
1: Hugely so. Yeah. It's not like, you know, a race you, you have to do as well as you possibly can the whole time. Then you, you get to the finish line, but survivor, the the people that get out ahead early are often the ones that get their heads cut off. So you don't want to be that. You want to lay low and often, you know, and often the winners are people that you kind of never would have expected to be the winner because they, they find that balance.
0: How does that play? I mean, I'm assuming prior to that, but also when you came back, like do you think in that way in general in your life in this sort of like very strategic?
1: I think I always did to some degree, so I can't say that I feel like, oh, I'm thinking more strategically with Survivor. I think the biggest change has been that I now eat breakfast because I don't like being hungry anymore. Really That's, profound. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. it's great. Yeah.
0: Great. Mic drop moment. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this is
1: the moment I was looking for in this
2: interview. Do
0: you feel like your experience working in three twins assisted you in that at all? Like where is the convergence between?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. being an entrepreneur, it's, I think it's for most of us, it's not going to go very well for a good part of the time and you need to have that patience and you need to be willing to work hard you need to always be thinking about what's the next thing i can do to to make it better how do i how do i save the ship or how do i how do i turn the ship so things get better um and i think that's definitely you know a skill that you employ in in survivor Obviously, it's it's 39 days not years and years and years Um, but it's that it's that same sort of thinking and i think that's I think that's the reason that I got on the show is because I could talk about those experiences from entrepreneurship to then get me into the game and ice cream pants.
0: At- yeah. The ice cream pants are <clears throat> like your thing.
1: Yeah. I, I wear custom printed ice cream pants and, and, <laughs> And, um,
0: like you don't have to do much really other than just like show up in the ice cream pants and people are like, okay, that's a cool dude. I, or
1: I mean, cool is probably not the word most people would <laughs> oh, use. Depending
0: who you are, what you think is cool, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah,
1: like at trade shows, you just like stand around and look pretty. But, uh, Jeff Probes loved those. I, I'm pretty convinced that they helped to get me onto the, onto the, into the game.
0: Do people like, how do you, so people tell me this all the time. They always will call me brave. And I always find that to be a very strange thing to hear because for me, I think people associate bravery with like a lack of fear, Mm -hmm. which isn't the case. Do you find that that like you're walking through fear? Like it's like, okay, this is fearful. I'm going to do it anyway. Or do you feel like you are above the fear?
1: Oh no, I'm definitely not. Definitely not above the fear. I definitely just like, you just kind of march forward and, and just decide you're not going to quit. Um, but Oh, yeah, I definitely experience fear. Maybe not in the same... I think we all experience fear differently, Mm. right? Like, this weekend, my girlfriend and I climbed Half Dome. And, like, have you climbed it?
0: I... No. So, you know, there's... there's, (laughs) I haven't, but yes, I'm a cables. There's
1: cables from the summit. The last 400 vertical feet is, is pretty steep, pretty smooth granite. So... So there's cables, and this time of year they're 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 down. They don't have these these uprights like stanchions that hold them up. They don't have these wooden cross boards. So you're just kind of holding onto a cable, or or you're tied into a cable. And she was she was really scared, and she was she was tied into the cable, whereas I was just holding onto it um, as as we went up. So it's just it was a good lesson, you know, good reminder that we all kind of something that's scary and petrifying to one person is is really comfortable to another. So you know, as far as that goes to whether you're talking about a reality TV experience or entrepreneurship, I mean, kind of adapt to your surroundings. And there's certainly, I still have my fears with the business. There's certainly things I do in life that, that I have fear, but you know, it also kind of gets the, gets the heart racing and gets the adrenaline flowing and, and, uh, makes life a lot more interesting than just staying on the couch and and being safe.
0: Where do you think that, like, where did that start for you pre- Peace Corps, like just desiring to get off the couch and actually do stuff in your life. Yeah, I mean, I
1: think kind of growing up in New Jersey, where you don't necessarily have a, a lot of opportunity for great adventures, then you, you you get out of there and you you go places and you realize that you can you can have some pretty cool adventures. So, like, I've been to Nepal a whole bunch of times, hiking hiking um, up in the Himalaya and. Lots of other climbing and, and fun stuff like that. And now spearfishing. Um, I'm scared of the water. I'm petrified of drowning. But <laughs> so, so
0: you live on the water. It's so so perfect. <laughs> it, well,
1: there's little chance to falling in. <laughs> <Yeah>. I've, I've <laughs> almost fallen once um, off the sailboat when I took a step out in the morning and went sliding because the deck of the boat was frozen. Who knew that it could freeze on the deck of a boat in Northern California? But um, yeah, I'm I'm scared of the water and like drowning, but I go spearfishing, go down to like 35 feet, so, you know, but it it's pretty exciting when you do.
0: And you think a lot of that came from just like the desire to not stay put or be stuck.
1: Yeah, to experience life. Yeah, uh, to have have these. You know, sure, I'm not necessarily in love with the thought of drowning but it's really cool to dive down to 30 or 35 feet and just see what's down there and then maybe catch something delicious. Catch might be a nice way to put it. Yeah. Put a hole in something delicious and eat it.
0: Yeah. Do you, have there been times, I mean, this is a silly question, but like in terms of your company where you pun totally intended wanted to jump ship or someone told you to jump ship and you were like, no.
1: No, not yet. I mean, it's 14 years in and... that
0: Which is, by the way, a very long time.
1: It is a long time. For this
0: industry. Like, people don't get that. Like, I feel like the shelf life on a brand is average. Three years or something. I guess well, with any business.
1: I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of brands come and go. Yeah. Right. Or come and go and, in case of Bratz, apparently come back.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: to Costco. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just taken a long time, and because I started with so little, it wasn't it wasn't like I was venture funded. I had seventy thousand dollars, and twenty five thousand dollars borrowed um, from the bank of mom and dad. So it's been it's been a slow, arduous at times process. And but there hasn't there hasn't really been the opportunity to to jump ship in that I, you know, kind of still need to get the company to the place where I can you know repay my investors and um and become more financially stable.
0: Is your not to like disclose proprietary information, but do you feel like it's a brand you want to like stay a part of for as long as you can? I just know there's a lot of companies that also like, we're going to build this to sell it. And yeah,
1: I mean, even if we do sell it at some point, I would hope and would think that I would still be involved being the guy on the, on the logo, you mm-hmm. know, and the guy that signs each and every pint container, I don't actually do that, but my signature is on there. <laughs> if anyone ever wants to forge it, that's it. Um, yeah so it would be great to still you know be involved in and in some way, but at the same time, I don't think I'll do it forever,
0: yeah, so what has been like the biggest surprise in owning that business that you didn't expect
1: i think I think a huge surprise is just how how difficult it, it remains mm. um you know, I thought like, oh, it'll be hard for a few years, and then I'll get it off the ground and and it'll just be you know flying around like a butterfly and it's it's not it's just hugely different challenges every year but it it apparently never gets easier so yeah that's been uh it's been interesting it's kind of been something i came to a reckoning with a bunch of years ago i think maybe like year eight or nine um and it's still true
0: that it wasn't gonna get (laughs) It (laughs) never gets easier it's just like
1: (laughs) different different challenges all the time
0: yeah yeah well and i'm assuming like the challenges you were dealing with at the beginning are different from the ones that aren't now
1: very different. And and the scale of them is very different, right? Like if yeah. I messed up a batch of ice cream back in the day, it would, it would cost like 50 bucks, like five gallon batch. And nowadays it could be a, a 12,000 pint screw up or, or larger. So, you know, you're, you're talking, there can be a screw up that could like cost you or the company. I don't own the whole thing, but it costs the company like a car, you know, the value of a car. It's like, you're not on the game show winning a new car. You're like, something's getting screwed up and you you have to throw out $25,000 worth of product. So those are, those are sad days.
0: (laughs) Well, and I must, you must feel like a much larger sense of responsibility toward your customers too now, given like how vast the brand. Yeah, there's a lot
1: more of them and, and much larger responsibility to the employees because there's, you know, 50 people roughly who are dependent upon us for their, for their paychecks and to pay their mortgage and put their kids through college. So, um, yeah, that, that does certainly weigh on me at yeah. times.
0: Do you feel like how did that play into, like, all these other things that you were doing with your life and, like, playing into the fact that you are kind of, like, the face of a brand? Was that an interesting or has been an interesting experience?
1: It, it's certainly been an interesting one. Um, it's not always welcome. I mean, there's certainly times when you just kind of want to hide and be anonymous, but then of course I do stuff that puts myself out there more and more. So I, like I can't complain when, Yeah. but, uh, um, but it's, it's always nice and validating when people do come up to you and they just tell you how much they love their brand. Generally speaking, people don't come up and tell you that they don't like your stuff. So, um, so it's nice and it's meaningful. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, one more thing, that's different than just sitting on the couch or staying in the cubicle. Um, it's, it's validating, satisfying, and it's great to know like how much joy you you can spread with a brand.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate it. I think you've also you've I and mean, why I've been able to like internet stock these cool things that you've been doing. Like you have been pretty open about all of these different experiences in a way that. I don't think everybody is all the time, especially owning a brand. It's like people are so careful, I think.
1: Yeah, with the Uganda thing, it was it was interesting <clears throat> because, you know, it was something I did. Um, and, of course, people would expect that I was, you know, a liberal Californian. But when the whole Uganda thing started to go, you know, global, um, I, I was definitely scared that, oh, well, this is, could have a, a negative impact on the brand it was neither meant to have a positive nor a negative impact on the brand. It was just something that was important to me. At the end, I don't think it had much impact either way on the brand itself.
0: Yeah. Can we talk about this like thing that you discovered recently about your dad?
1: <laughs> My biological <laughs> your father. Your biological father, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so October, I guess it's coming up on three years ago, I was at a family wedding. And I made same stupid kind of quip joke. I don't even know what you would call it. Um, it, it was my, we were at the happy hour of the wedding, and my, it was my cocktail hour. My, my it was my mom and my twin and I, and I made some quip about Carl and I having different fathers, insinuating that our mom had a couple different mates at the time. Mm-hmm. And my mom looked at me and said, "Oh, well, I guess my twin brother." said, well, Mom, do we? And my mom looked at both of us and said, maybe, and walked away. And we got a call at 6 the next morning from her saying we had to have a family meeting because she didn't know when I was flying back to California. I was like, Mom, we've never had a family meeting. Like, what's going on? Are you and Dad getting divorced? Which would have been funny because it was their 45th wedding anniversary that day. Did someone die? No, none of that. Long story short, because I don't know how long this podcast goes.
0: <laughs> you can tell some of the story. It um, <laughs>
1: turns out that there was indeed a chance that my twin brother and I had different fathers. Not because mom was sleeping around, but because it turns out that my two brothers and I are all the product of sperm donors. And this was, you know, we were conceived in...
0: Wait, so how do you and a twin have different
1: it is possible it is possible for you know out in the out in the natural world as well but in this case um this is uh, 1976 Uh, when artificial insemination was relatively new yeah and my mom went for three different fertility treatments that week and the monday guy and the friday guy were the same but the wednesday guy the sample was from someone else so there was in fact a chance that one of us was you know, inseminated from one donor and one was inseminated from another. So modern technology. My twin brother orders us twenty-three and Me kits while uh, while we're still in this family meeting, and we take them and find out a couple weeks later that we do indeed have the same biological father, that we're full genetic siblings. And then maybe six months later, we got a match on it. Um, somebody in New York City. And um, it turns out that we have two half-siblings who are themselves full siblings, were raised. They had no idea that they were the product of a sperm donor either. You know, In our case, our parents told us. In their case, um, my half-brother and his husband were looking to adopt, and they decided to do 23andMe to see what their background was, and they found out that way. But all of us... The four of us were conceived in Westchester County, New York, and our parents were under the impression that the donors were from were med school students, because you know, apparently that's what you do in med school. Well, there's only one medical school in Westchester, a New York medical college up in Valhalla. So there's this notion, well, we should just go look through the yearbooks. We should go look through the yearbooks. And a couple of years passed, and, or almost a couple of years passed, and we didn't, and I just had this... So she's like, you know what? We we really should just get up and, and, and go. And and you know, get up and go is a little harder when you're in California, twenty seven hundred miles away. <laughs> but I I took a detour from a work trip and met my half sister, and we finally went up, um, looked through the yearbooks, and you know, we we looked through probably six years or so before we finally came across someone that was like. Oh, yeah, that kind of looks like me. And we Googled him. We saw that he was deceased. But then we looked back, and said, you know, at first it wasn't this eureka moment because we just looked at like a thousand different faces. Like yeah. we were just exhausted from looking at faces, and you know, asking that question: "Are you my daddy? Are you my daddy?" <laughs> and it, um, I looked back and, and I had a second look and realized like, oh this guy looks exactly like me. Like this guy.
0: Yeah. It was pretty uncanny. He looks, you posted the picture and I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I mean,
1: I look like his twin. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Yeah.
1: I sent it to my girlfriend and she let out some expletives (laughs) and and we sent it to Carl, my twin brother. Mm -hmm. And he just responded and said, Neil's a time traveler. I mean, it was, it's really freaky. So, so he's deceased, but, did some research and found his sister who was living in Atlanta and got in touch with her via Facebook with an email that started along the lines of, I know this letter will be unexpected, but I hope it's not unwelcome. And she had her doubts, but then was gracious enough to take a DNA test Mm. to, to prove that Yes, in fact, and she was, she was skeptical because she said I looked exactly like like David, my biological father, but those others just looked like each other because there was this picture of the, the four of us, my my twin and I and our two half siblings. She didn't think that they looked anything mm. like David, um, and and so I said, well, um, you know, um, Cindy. Has a couple daughters, and it's, I think they look a lot like your niece. Mm. So it turns out that David also was married and had a kid, and um, we found her online as well. And um, so I sent photos to Jackie, and she's just like, Oh my god, like those girls both look like I'm not going to say their last yeah, name, yeah, yeah. Um, both look like little Bob yeah, and that one girl looks exactly like. That uh, David's daughter, yeah. Um, so it was pretty crazy. So then, you know, she shared some family history and and whatnot, and um, it was ironic because she said, "And you know, there is a lot of that heart stuff on that side of the family, and also on my mom's side of the family." So it's like, oh, geez, like we're doomed. But um, she's like, "Well, the good news is that uh, you know we don't have any any history of cancer on the side of the family." And then three weeks later, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died, like, two months later. So I never had the chance to meet her.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So it was, it was
1: on one hand, you know, meeting my half-siblings was wonderful, um, but definitely there's a sadness to know of, like, a lot of pain on that side of the family. Mm-hmm.
0: So... So growing up, was this ever something you wanted to figure out, like who? No,
1: I had no idea that my father wasn't my father. Oh, you didn't until that wedding three years ago. I look exactly like my mom, so the fact that I don't look like my dad didn't mean anything because I look exactly like my mom. It's really confusing though the fact that I look exactly like my mom and exactly like my biological father, and they don't look like each other. But and if you looked at the you know photos of my other siblings. None of them look really all that much like our biological father, like they probably would have just passed him through in a book, so it was it was it's just strange that I look like exactly like him, but exactly like my mom so
0: that's crazy. I mean, it almost like even reminds me of that situation that you were saying about survivor, how like you just happened to meet this person who worked for survivor like yep. what how it seems like such a bizarre synchronicity that like you made a joke and all yeah. of a sudden all this stuff unfolded in a way that wasn't totally intentional.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, you know, my parents didn't intentionally not tell us, but mm-hmm. they kind of had reasons to not when we were young and then time just slipped by and they just never had a conversation about, Oh, we need to tell them. So yeah. they told us and proof. Crazy Did, stuff.
0: How do you feel like that's like shifted? stuff for you in terms of your identity and
1: no, it's just, it's just another curious chapter in my life, which has had some curious chapters. Um, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to kind of wrap your mind around it. Cause, cause I have a dad. He's been by my side and been very present, uh, my entire life. And, but all of a sudden there's this mystery man that is where you come from. And, I've only seen the photos from the yearbook um, my um, biological aunt she 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 sent us a photo that she said was was of David, but it was like one of her grandkids like she's like attached the wrong file and we <laughs> asked her to send send it again, and she didn't and then she got sick so i've you know we've only ever seen these yearbook photos of him um, so it's it's just this odd thing that's out there.
0: Do you are you glad you know, or do you almost wish you?
1: I'm glad that I know because I think not knowing would be, I would just wonder, well, who is this guy? I mean I remember when I first found out that that day I was I was flying out of the uh, Tampa airport. And I was just yeah. like walking through the airport, just like looking at people. Like, <laughs> wonder if he's here. Wonder if he's here. Which is like completely absurd. But uh, so it's good. It's good to know. Um, you know. And it's, there's definitely, there's definitely some sadness that's come with it, but I think it's overall better to know than to just wonder.
0: And is your mom grateful that you, like, was she a sort of like happy this finally came out or?
1: I think, I think my parents are both a little relieved that it yeah finally came out. Um, and they've been super gracious as far as saying, you know what, it's, it's, it's your story. It's your It's your place to find whatever information you want, you know, and to share whatever information you want with people. So
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. My dad is gay and I, my parents took the approach that they wouldn't tell me until I asked. mm -hmm. But which like led me into this space for a number of years where my parents got divorced. My dad was in a relationship with a man and I witnessed my man and my dad in a relationship with a man but never thought about it. It was uh-huh. like from 5 to 10 it was like why would I think that this is strange or yeah. even anything to consider. Um
1: it Turns out it's not strange.
0: <clears throat> well, right, but uh
1: if, if you're raised with it. I mean, it was the right. same thing with my with my with my godfather.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then like learning this thing, it's just a bizarre way to kind of like you, your uh, way that you look at the world is like shifted in this kind of unexpected fashion where something that wasn't something becomes something, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, just, there's no, of course we're raised with TV sitcoms of uh, the family as the man and the woman and, and the kids. And it's, it's not. It's not that simple. There's just so much variety out there. Yeah. Um. And it's wonderful.
0: Awesome. Well, we've been talking for almost an hour, so we could probably wrap this up. Because you w- want me
1: to cook tacos for you? I
0: totally want tacos, and we need to like save some content for post podcasting conversation to as to not create like super awkward silence, like you yeah. said. <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll, we'll have wine. That'll help.
0: Okay, so before I let you go, though, I ask my guests always two questions. One is, like, where can people find you and support what you do?
1: So people can find me and Sausalito, but they can find...
0: <laughs> and my address is... <laughs> yeah, 13.
1: Uh, they can find three twins nationwide at grocery stores, ranging from Whole Foods to various conventional stores like Safeway. Um, and lots of natural co-ops and whatnot around the world. So we have three brands now. Three Twins is the kind of premier uh, pint and novelty brand. Then we have Maxine's, which is a family-sized brand named after my mom. Um, That's organic, quart and a half, um, and a bunch of different flavors. And then we have Slim Twin, which is a lower-calorie, higher-protein pint that has 280 to 360 calories per pint, Um, and that's that's at Whole Foods Nationwide as well.
0: And I have to say the cardamom, like regular three twins, is that's cardamom. Like top ice cream. Yeah. Like probably top three favorite for me. It's really good. It's really good. Um, okay. And the second question is, uh, if you could recommend one book that you've read that you wanna to recommend to everyone that's listening to this, what might that be? <laughs>
1: um I read a lot of, of like boring business books. And, I mean, <laughs> I mean I, that's cool too. Most Maybe of there's people part, that want to start a business. I, I just, um, pretty recently read, uh, the newer Richard Branson biography. And mm. I just think he's a great inspiration that, um, unlike so many of the billionaires that are out there, he seems to have a lot of fun mm-hmm. and spend a lot of time with his family yeah. and spend a lot of time in nature. Uh, but like really, really tries to have a good time. Um, while, building his building his empire so so that's that's a good one
0: awesome thank you thank you thanks for listening to that episode hope you enjoyed it um before i get into the song i'm gonna play by the way i know i said on the last episode i might play two songs but uh i kind of failed at that and i recorded the intro and realized oh fuck forgot to pick two songs so we're back to one at least for today's episode Before I get into that, um, if you enjoy the show, if you listen to it every week or um, even every other week and you have a few bucks to spare, I'd really appreciate it if you became a patron. Just go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Cates and uh, for a few bucks a month you can help me keep this show afloat, help me travel to more places, meet new people, um, and not have to have, like, seven backup careers as to support this, which is what I really want to do. And in in, in exchange for your donation, not only will you help to support the show, but you'll get access to lots of perks, um, which you can all find on Patreon. So today, um, semi-thematic in my song choice, but not totally, Um, I want to play you out with a song called uh, Pike Street slash Park Slope. Although, in the song, it's like Pike Street to Park Slope, but technically that's not the song name. Um, It's by Harvey Danger. I was super, super into this band when I was, I guess, in my late teens, early 20s. Um, Really like this song. It's probably one of my favorites. I actually had a really funny experience at a Harvey Harvey Danger show when I was younger. I was just talking about this. It was around the time when those PC Mac commercials were out and there was like the pc guy and the mac guy and i was at the show in brooklyn it's harvey danger show and i see across the bar that the pc guy i don't know what the fuck his name is but he was sitting in the bar on his iphone and i totally took a video or a photo i've since lost it but it was just a very funny experience and so i have this very strange connection now between harvey danger and seeing the PC guy on his iPhone back in the day. So, yeah, that's not a very, like, interesting or meaningful story, but <laughs> I thought I'd share it anyway. Um, Alright, enjoy the song. Um, thank you all for being there. and uh, Or being here, being there, wherever the fuck you are. Thank you. And I will talk to you all next week.
2: A community of dabblers Successful and a different school whose energies are spent evading in contacts and silicone enhancements by the breastful. Maybe we could run away and start a little repertory movie. Well, when you you like something